So yesterday, um, someone mentioned that um, Nathan had spoken about the practice that he was introducing yesterday as one of three, and um, three ways of looking practices that we're going to explore in the retreat, and that person found that quite exciting, that there was more to come. And that may be your experience, and it may also be that you feel something different, so you might also feel that there's enough for you to work with already, and um, you don't, you can't take in, or you don't feel like it's appropriate right now to bring in an additional practice. And you may find yourself somewhere on the spectrum there. So, just to, to say before I go into into the um, suggestions for today, that any of that is fine, you know, and to really um, listen to the inner voice um, of what is appropriate or not for you. And with that, there can be several possibilities. You know, like, like we've been saying all along, really recommend listening, being open to, and then if it feels appropriate, applying the practice today. And if it feels like there's enough to work with already, um, as one option, or that there's a real sense of kind of something happening with the practices that you're using already that you don't want to to disturb, you actually want to deepen with that, Um, then just putting the practice to one side, the new practice to one side, and staying with what feels useful for you. Does that make sense to people? Yeah, so real kind of, you know, we have a short time together, we're offering a lot of material, and um, to really... Take it as that, you know, short time, a lot of material being offered. You don't have to take all of it on right now or to apply all of it right now. If you want to, or if it feels um, there's some kind of pull towards that, by all means, go for it. (laughs) There's no uh, kind of, yeah, but just really follow that sense of what's right for you in, in the practices. So, yesterday Nathan introduced the the Anicca practice, the impermanent, inconstant, uncertain uh, way of looking at at the world. And today's practice is, is a kind of a natural extension of that. It's a natural continuation of that, but with a slightly different um, emphasis in the looking. And just to kind of make it simple, if the first of the, what we did yesterday we called a Nietzsche way of looking, or I hope Nathan, did Nathan use the Pali? He used a Nietzsche, yeah. A Nietzsche way of looking. And we're using Pali words not just, you know, because it makes us seem, um, you know, educated or knowledgeable. Um, it's actually because the Pali often has a richness in the language that... Um, that the English doesn't quite have, you know, it's, it's like Sanskrit, it's a, a sister language to Sanskrit, languages that have incredible richness, a much, much wider, much bigger vocabulary, and the words have a much wider range, and that's why we often need several English words to translate one, you know, so we say Nietzsche, um, instead of saying impermanent, inconstant, uncertain, transitory <laughs> so we can use one word instead of four or five so that's the that's the reason we're using the Pali so yesterday uh, we really looked at this a Nietzsche way of looking at experience a Nietzsche practice and today it's the dukkha uh, which I've, I've touched on that word is the Pali word for um, usually translated as um, most commonly suffering um, actually kind of really covers the, the range uh, dissatisfaction or unsatisfactoriness of things is a, much, is, is a bit more what it's talking about. And um, one, um, one etymological breakdown of the word, which I find really help, helpful, is um, that it, it, it's made up of, of two words, duke, which is, um, let's see if I remember the two, yeah, I can't remember which is which, but basically one of them means the um, the the kind of 
the hole in the wheel that the axle fits through. Yeah, so that hole. And the other means um, ill-fitting. So it's when that fit between the, the axle that's holding the two wheels together and that the hole, when that doesn't fit well, if we think of, of you know, the experience of, particularly if we're talking about the period that, that these words were used, so ox carts, what that would feel like if, if that wasn't aligned, if that didn't fit well, it would be very bumpy. So sometimes, you know, that a really kind of accessible translation of the word dukkha would be bumpy ride. And basically that's, that's the experience um, as human beings that we're talking about, you know, that life or being human is not a smooth ride. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's bumps all the time, you know, there's disharmony all the time. And so that's really what we're talking about, is that underlying dis-ease, unsatisfactoriness, which again has a spectrum from very, very subtle to, you know, the, the very intense suffering that we experience as humans or non-humans, you know, this is true of all living beings. So the whole spectrum. But that's kind of what the word uh, relates to. And so we're, we're using this as a way of looking to help free us. And um, we're basically, the, what we're doing is we're, we're opening to see and to understand the unsatisfactory nature of phenomena, which again, like I was saying last night, that sounds can sound pretty grim <laughs> and depressing. The reason we're doing it, so this this is a continuation of the Anicca practice and it builds on it. For most of us, it's an even more effective and powerful way of bringing release and relief. So it's it seems grim, it seems depressing, but actually through seeing this unsatisfactory nature, that helps us let go, helps release that clinging that I was speaking about yesterday. Helps us let go, which brings release, which actually brings happiness. And another way of saying that is that we're kind of shifting a little bit the, perspe- the perspective of, or the emphasis of our, of our attention, of what we put weight on. So as I was saying last night, most of the time when we look at our experience, what we see is that we put the emphasis on the object or the experience or the self. You know, that's what we're looking at. That's what we think. That's where we think things are happening. You know, the happiness is in the thing. Yeah, in the bell ringing, in the in the meal coming, and it being sunny and not rainy, or maybe by now it's too sunny, <laughs> and you can't be in your room or in your tent because it's absolutely boiling in there. So we can actually, you know, so maybe it's shifted now, and actually the happiness is in some clouds arising, or whatever it is. But it's in the thing. That's what we're. Um, we usually that's where we put the weight of our of our lives actually of our experience that's what our happiness depends on what we're doing in this practice is that we're moving that weight we're shifting that weight we're shifting that emphasis from the thing to the relationship and so we're actually looking at what at what the process is that's what we're interested in and so we can ask you know we can ask where is the dukkha, or can I see that things are not satisfying in themselves? Or we can also ask the opposite, which is where is the happiness in this? You know, where is the happiness? But the, the really important thing is that that very slight shift in the in the perspective or the emphasis. Does this make sense to people? Because this is this is quite important. Um, aspect of the practice. So it's actually not a lack of interest, it's not a lack of engagement in life, and it's not, um, I think Nathan said it a couple of days ago, it's not at all um, losing that diversity and richness of life. It actually heightens it. It actually heightens it because the shift of where we're placing 
our energy. We're replacing um, what we're what we're placing our, our happiness on comes from moves from something quite narrow and specific to something much wider, much wider, much deeper. So in this exploration, again, like I was saying last night, we're really looking at how we normally operate. What are the usual patterns? And through that we're learning. And then how can we, how can we let go? How can we um, ease off a little bit or shift that perspective, shift the weight? One thing that can be interesting to look at um, and real encouragement to look at this over today in your own experience is um, often when we associate happiness with getting something or not, or you know, not getting something, <laughs> whichever way that is, we feel, you know, we think, oh, you know, I'll be, I'll be happy, um, you know, when the retreat ends, for example. You know, what a relief that's going to be. You know, I'll be happy when I can talk again or whatever it is. When that time actually comes, a lot of the time, you know, we'll get what we want, yeah, the retreat will end, and we will actually feel happiness. And we'll keep associating it with the thing, with the event. When we look closer, and a real, real um, encouragement to actually look at this in your own experience, often that feeling of happiness is a relief from the clinging that was there or from the anticipation, or from the urgency. You know, again, I keep using this example, but the bell ringing is a great example of that also. If we're in that mind state of really waiting for the bell to ring, and when it does, there is a sense of relief. But if we check in, what's that relief about? Is it actually because the meditation's ended, and I can leave? Or is it because that contraction that's been there, that tightening around, has now eased off and so really looking at that and, and seeing for yourself they did um, they did an experiment um, in America a short time ago um, and I, I use this a lot uh, which really illustrates this where they uh, sent people off to go shopping in in a mall and uh, they put these sensors on the skin uh, to measure the the kind of uh, somehow I don't know how they how they com- how they computed this, but they were measuring people's sense of happiness. And what they found was that this sense of happiness peaked. It reached a peak, not at the moment when um, the person you know had the object that they were buying and were walking to the till. Not at the moment when they were walking out of the store with the, with the thing in the, in the shopping bag. The peak time was at the moment when they were standing at the till and handing over their credit card. So they hadn't gotten it yet, yeah? It wasn't there yet, but that moment when they were paying, that was the peak happiness. The relief of the clinging, yeah? The relief of the clinging, the relief of the build-up around the thing. Should I get it? Shouldn't I get it? Is it this color or that color? You know, will my um, mother like it or not? Whatever's going on in our head, all of that. And then it's that moment when you hand over your credit card and you're just about to get it. That's when the relief, that's when the, the peak happiness happened. So really, for me, really interesting to see that. So it's the relief of the craving. We know we're getting it. We know it's, it's ours. We don't actually need to have it. That is the peak. So what we're doing with this dukkha practice, this dukkha way of looking, is instead of you know, relying on getting the object or not getting the object, you know, the bell ringing or not ringing, the retreat coming to an end or not coming to an end, whatever it is, yeah, rather than relying on that, we're actually going directly to the craving and the clinging and releasing them. So we're going directly to that. Directly to that and reminding ourselves. You know, this practice is reminding ourselves and teaching ourselves to see 
Yeah, that's why we call it a way of looking practice. Teaching ourselves to see again and again, it's not in the object. It's the release of the clinging. And can I let go? Can I let go? So there's a few ways of doing this practice and I'll I'll mention them and again you don't need to um, try all of them just pick one or maybe two um, according to what feels interesting for you and apply that. The first one is direct continuation from the Anicca practice yesterday is we look at what is arising in our experience we see there's any kind of um, another way of, of seeing it, which I didn't speak about yesterday, along with the contraction, there can be a leaning forward or a holding back. Yeah, that's sometimes also something that we can feel, again, either in the body or in the mind. Leaning forward, you know, the pull, or the kind of holding back, the pushing away. So it can also be like that. So we notice that that's happening on some level. And then we remind ourselves, using um, typically using a gentle noting, um, like we did with the Anitra yesterday, this is dukkha. Dukkha because it's impermanent. Or, um, yeah, or unsatisfactory, if you, if you prefer to use the English, or any word that, that you feel kind of really... Um, crystallizes this sense for you. But dukkha because it's impermanent. Dukkha because it comes and goes. Whatever it is that I'm expecting to bring me happiness is not um, permanent. Will not last. Yeah, whether it's a mind state, a meditative state, an object, the weather, it's going to change. So unsatisfactory because it's impermanent. And seeing um, what happens, seeing what happens in the being in response. Yeah, and being really gentle with this practice, really, really gentle. So that's one, one possible way of doing the practice. Um, second one is one that I spoke about quite a lot yesterday. Dukkha because, it, because of the contraction. Yeah. It's unsatisfactory because it causes this narrowing down of the being. It causes this tensing in the being. So, you know, craving is dukkha. Dukkha is contraction. Dukkha, you know, clinging is dukkha. Just seeing that relationship. Whether we're looking at the contraction in the body or the contraction in the mind. And so bringing that in and then as we're paying attention to the contraction, seeing what happens when the contraction eases off a little bit. Yeah, We can really do that. And we can do that um, both you know, when it happens as a result of the practice or in other times you know, when we just, as I was saying, when we notice, uh, when we actually, that happens which we're looking for. So you know, the bell rings, paying attention to that process of easing of the contraction, that's also really useful for us, to seeing what happens when that contraction relaxes and eases off. And so we can use a, a, a gentle noting here as well, you know, dukkha because of contraction. Or we can just have that direct experience of actually feeling the contraction. You know, dukkha, dukkha, unsatisfactory. So I was speaking about, and I think we've said it several times, about this sense of spectrum. So also being interested in that, seeing how the more... Uh, the stronger the contraction, the stronger the dukkha. The more du- dukkha we're identifying, 
the more contraction there will be there. So kind of seeing that spectrum, noticing the relationship. And this is kind of a side note, the more sense of self there will be, the stronger the sense of self will be. And sometimes, you know, it can, it can really, in our inner talk, the voice is louder. <laughs> yeah? I want, I need, you know, I can't bear this, whatever it is, the voice is actually louder. So that's another indication. The more self, more do come, more contraction. So sometimes in this exploration, the um, differentiation between desire and aversion isn't so important. You know, isn't so important. Yeah? If it's useful for you, then, then use it. But just kind of taking in that the differentiation between desire and aversion isn't so important because they both actually cause the same thing. Yeah, the contraction, the leaning forward or pushing away, and the dukkha. And another way of saying it is that when we look at it, desire and aversion are two sides of the same coin. They actually always come together. So any desire will have some aversion in it, and any aversion will have some desire in it. Yeah? So, you know, for example, you know, there's an itch on my face while I'm meditating, and I have aversion to that itch, but I also have the desire <laughs> to get rid of it. You know, it's also a desire in there. Or, you know, I'm having a pleasant fantasy and a desire for that pleasant fantasy. But in there, there's also a subtle um, aversion towards what would be there without the fantasy. You know, so it's, uh, it's, they always come together. They actually always come together, interconnected. And so this, this kind of practice um, is really supported by calm, really supported by, by calm and spaciousness um, in the citta, in the heart-mind. It can in itself generate calm, um, but for most of us it's really helpful to, to keep going with the calming samatha practices um, at least a third of the time. I would even say probably half the time, like we were doing yesterday, at least. As a way of kind of supporting this, this kind of looking, which can be, you know, sometimes not easy, sometimes quite difficult, um, or sometimes just very precise. Very precise. So, um, so keep going with the samatha practices, whatever it is that you're using, whether it's metta, uh, body or breath awareness, um, yeah, a third to half the time, probably closer to half the time at least, um, and even more if that feels more beneficial, and then just kind of dipping into the ways of looking insight practices in there. So, Doing this practice should bring some sense of relief and ease. Yeah, that's the, that's the goal, that's kind of what we're looking for. Because the relief is actually the insight. Actually the insight. Um, saying that, it might not happen all the time. It might not happen all the time. So one thing is to allow that. Because we might, you know, be finding our way still with a practice. And so there might be some tensing through the... Um, uncertainty of am I doing it right is this the way you know what am I supposed to do there can also sometimes be um, a subtle level of a contraction there that we're not aware of for example um, wanting to let go yeah can have a subtle agenda there of I really want to get rid of you (laughs) yeah I really want to get rid of this unpleasant experience. And so that can then keep feeding the, you know, there's a contraction still there 
even if we've released some of it. So just to, to be aware of it, not to kind of get, um, not to freak out if, if there's still a sense of, um, of some tens- tension and not, not a lot of relief happening. And um, if, if that's the case, then some kind of attitude of welcoming of experience can be really, really helpful, either using the meta practice directly or just a sense of welcoming, welcoming experience. And if you're not sure or you kind of feel a little bit lost, come and talk to us. You know, Come and talk to us and we can kind of explore it more um, specifically with you in a way that supports your own practice. So that's it as a lengthy introduction. And so let's, um, let's actually do the practice together now. So um, if you need to stretch any part of the body then do and then feel what would be an appropriate posture and settle in we have about another half hour of of sitting just to to give you an indication So settling into your posture. Taking some moments both to align, adjust the posture in a way that supports the body. Also balancing the uprightness. With the ease, the relaxation. Grounding the awareness in the body as we've been doing. Taking some moments to calm, collect, center.
So the basic ground of the practice is still the body awareness or breath awareness. beginning to notice the impact on the cheetah, on the mind, of different phenomena that arise, sounds, body sensations, thoughts or memories, just noticing how they affect the cheetah. particularly noticing if there's any contraction in the body space or the awareness. In the mind, in relation to whatever phenomena is arising. And our exploration is if we, to see whether we can release that contractedness, we can relax the clinging, ease the relationship, even if it's not possible to do that completely, doing that to some degree. And through this meditation, I'll be offering different ways of doing this. First one is whenever you notice contraction in relationship to a phenomena that's arising, what happens if you relax the body and let go, have the intention of letting go of the tension in the body? Just keep doing that. So we are with the breath or the body. Field of awareness as wide as possible for us. Whenever we notice a phenomena impacting the cheetah, looking for the contraction and seeing if we can ease it, relax it. Release the clinging.
So we could do this whenever we notice we've distracted or the mind has wandered. We can also do it moment by moment, following our experience, present with our experience and the flow of experience. Checking in with contraction. So the first way is relaxing, easing off tension in the body or in the mind. The second way would be simply to welcome and allow the phenomena. Really bring in that sense of welcoming and allowing. Sometimes it can be helpful to just have a gentle mantra in the mind, you are welcome. Whatever it is, an unpleasant thought, unpleasant sensation, unpleasant sound, You are welcome. We can also bring in as a way of easing the contraction, supporting the letting go. Just that gentle noting of unsatisfactory or dukkha. Unsatisfactory because you are impermanent. Come and go, you change. Unsatisfactory because of contraction. So whatever you notice clinging, whenever you notice contraction, repeating the practice, any of those three, the welcoming, relaxing of the body, 
gentle noting of unsatisfactory. Feeling in the body, feeling the dukkha, feeling the release of the dukkha, even if it is, even if it's partial. Letting the potential of this insight go deep. As you feel it again and again, as you explore it again and again, as you open it, open to it again and again. If there's any pleasantness, ease, relief that comes, Allowing yourself to feel that, to absorb it for as long as it lasts. Don't rush to move on. It's the way insights are digested and absorbed. Is there any contraction happening right now? What happens when you bring awareness, bring attention to it? Does it change? when you welcome it. When you relax the tension, relax the contraction. Or simply note, this too is dukkha unsatisfactory.
right in this moment opening to feel the impact of phenomena on the chitta. Is there any contraction in response? What happens when I welcome phenomena to arise and pass through awareness? How does that affect the body, the mind? happens when I gently note dukkha, unsatisfactory, seeing the changing nature if I rest back into alignment not leaning forward not pulling back staying steady and open with what is arising in my experience 